Hello, I'm Luca De Giglio, and this is the Web3 in Travel podcast, where you can learn about crypto, blockchain, and how the new internet will change travel. So today we're going to talk about Web2 versus Web3, because there's been a lot of discussion and criticizing of Web3 from the Web2 crowd. And things got interesting, heated up. The, a lot of things have been said on one side and the other. And I think this is interesting because at least it shows that Web2 is looking at Web3, is not able to ignore it anymore. And you know that quote, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. And I know it's an overquoted quote, but it really works very well in this transition between from Web2 to Web3. Uh, the ignore phase has lasted many years, I would say from the beginning to at least 2017, when we had this big bull run and then the big crash. And the crash was then the laugh at you, 2018, 2020. That was painful, I have to admit. We were ignored and or in the best case, laughed at. And now we are in the phase, then they fight you. So you have this animosity toward Web3 and why it is not as good as it pretends to be, etc. There's no more ignoring and there's no more laughing, or at least there is. Some people don't even know this thing exists, but the main, the most important actors are either fighting or coming over this side. And we're still far from the then you win phase. It's a few years away, maybe a couple of years at least before we see very impactful stuff made in Web3, or maybe less, who knows. But anyway, I don't expect this to happen very quickly. We are definitely in the they fight you phase. And for those of us who for a long time said this is inevitable, well, it feels good. It feels things are going in the right direction. It feels the bet we did was the good bet. And it feels, as I said too many times now, that the real fun is going to start for sure. Um, it's been fun. It's been interesting. But it's going to be even better from now on. On one hand, on the other hand, it's going to be worse because when everybody gets in and you got the we'll say late commerce who understand where the victory is going, they jump on the train and they start, you know, pretending to be have been there forever and being there since the beginning and whatever. But it's okay. It's part of the process. It's part of going mainstream and seeing this technology evolve into the default technology of the space. And it's really important that we are welcoming, we are not treating this thing as our own. Web3 is open, it belongs to everyone. It allows for more people to be part of the economic process and get their fair share. So it would be stupid to go like, okay, I'm the real Web3 guy, we are the real Web3 project, you just arrived last year, what do you want here? No, the approach is, okay, let's, let's see what we can do together. And, you know, again, empower more people and have a better distribution of wealth and, uh, and independence for everyone. I know it sounds socialist slash communist. It is not. It is just a better way to be for everybody apart from the few, you know, the, the few Web2 oligarchs, maybe. So what happened? Why am I saying that the fight 
phase has started. Well, there's been a lot of um, Web2 CEOs fight against Web3. And maybe the one who started everything was Jack Dorsey from Twitter, which is a, a bit of a fun case because Jack Dorsey is not just Web2, he's also Bitcoin, I would say, maximalist. So he's against Web3 as a concept, and uh, but he's very, very much interested in decentralization. So this is not your most default stance about you know Web3. Is Web3 too, because Bitcoin started everything. So it's a bit a corner case, but anyway, he's really against Web3. And his thesis is that it's just VC money finding new ways to you know multiply itself. So you got all those VCs getting into Web3, financing projects, and then exiting before everybody else can exit and lose their money. And this is in part true, actually. What happened is that in 2017-18, we had this ICO boom, and the ICOs were in a way horrible, and in another way, they were fantastic because they allowed for anybody in the world to invest in anything for very little money. You could invest $10 and then make zero or make 100 or make 1,000, right? And most of those projects were either scams or just they had no hope to, to make it. But in general, as we were reading in the Messari report, all the money which went into the ICOs multiplied by many, many times. It was the best investment in general compared to anything else in the world since that time. But then what happened was like, basically the regulators came in and said, no, you cannot do ICOs. So the whole blockchain space, it wasn't called Web3 yet, the whole blockchain space started raising money from VCs. Because it's legal. So you see the legal system forcing the blockchain to go back into their rails. And this led to many VC-funded projects. And VCs, what do they do? They put money, they put one, and they want to get out 100. That's, that's how they do things. And it's natural and it's normal and it's fine. But they have this asymmetry of information. They know things you don't know. They buy the token in a private sale, maybe for 10 cents, and then there's the public sale for a dollar. And then they get out at 50 cents and you, you don't get out anymore. Jack Dorsey is right. There's many projects like this, and it's up to us to know what's going on. So before we buy some token, let's find out, was there a private sale? How much was it sold? Is it disclosed? And you know, learn how to invest in Web3. But Web3 has a lot of projects which were not funded this way, like Ethereum, for instance, was not funded through VCs. People simply put money at about, I don't know, 50 cents per ETH. So, and that was really fair in a way. Some may argue that the Bitcoin distribution was fairer, but nobody would argue this is less fair than an IPO, for instance, right? Where you, the, the public can invest just at the end of the whole fundraising process. Then we had Elon Musk making a bit of fun of Web3, but I would say is more sarcastic than anything. We had Brian Chesky making a bit of fun too, but then revealing actually that they are, that they is open. So that was interesting. And many, many, many others. So I wouldn't go into, into more examples. The idea is that Web2 companies, some of the Web2 companies CEOs do not like Web3 too much. And this is of course fair. Anybody is entitled to their opinion. Now, why don't they like it? Well, there's many, many reasons. Maybe Web3 is actually full of crap. So it's just hype. There's nothing real behind it. It's going to fade out and we're going to stay with the Web2 as it is, or it's going to develop in some other direction. We always have to keep this option open. We never know the future, right? So it could actually go that way. I don't think so. 
I wouldn't do what I'm doing, but it's a possibility. Things can go really south. Maybe bad actors come into this. Maybe they're wrong actors. Uh, Web3 is open, so that means good people can come in, bad people can come in. Uh, anybody can come in, right? So who knows, right? But of course, one of the reasons Web2 winners do not like Web3 is because it completely changes the business model. It makes their business models obsolete. So if your company is a marketplace which makes 15% on each transaction and somebody comes to you and says, look, there's this new kind of internet or worse, the internet is actually going to change and nobody will want to pay this money anymore. Of course, your reaction is, I don't like this, right? Think of it. Think what happened with telecom companies in, you know, when the internet started being a thing. They would charge a lot of money for phone calls. Uh, some may remember that calling abroad was something which would cost you $10, $20, $50 if you stayed a bit on them, right? And even local calls were expensive. And we had no video calls. And we had talked about video calls forever and they never happened, right? And then, the internet comes in and says, no, no, everything is free. Calls are free. Video calls, voice messages, everything is free. Can you imagine the reaction of a telecom company CEO saying, wait, all the money we make is for charging people for calling and you're telling me this is going to be free? What is this? This, so you got denial. This is not going to happen. It's impossible. You got anger. These guys are making, destroying companies, destroying jobs. You know, these kinds of reactions. We've been through this endless time. So it's understandable. That's a normal, natural reaction to this kind of disruption. Another reason why they don't like it is because they don't understand it. Web3 is not something you can read about in an article and understand. We've seen this with Bitcoin. We've seen Bitcoin going on for years and people are still not understanding. Because some things are at the same time so simple and yet so hard to understand. They are very simple. Bitcoin is a very simple value proposition. But it challenges our core beliefs about money, or it challenges what we assume about money, but we never actually went deep into understanding. Web3 does kind of the same, you know, in a world where you build a company, you build a product, something people want and are ready to pay for it. And then somebody comes and says, well, this is over. Now people want to be part of the platform they want to earn to, not only be you know players, they want to be part of the earnings, they want tokens. And of course, their reaction is like, what, what the hell is this? It's perfectly understandable, okay? So we have denial, we have not understanding, we have the option that may be actually right, but people tend not to like new things when they challenge their core beliefs, or they challenge their wallet. There's this famous quote which says, it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon his not understanding it. And we've all been through this. I've been through this when, for instance, I had my own little booking platform a few years before Airbnb. And when Airbnb came onto the market, I, I could see these guys were going to crush me. But I didn't want to see it and I lived in denial for years. And that was, you know, I, I put myself in misery for that. I should have just quickly understood, maybe jumped on the wagon with Airbnb early and I would have a much better life. But I was telling myself, well, this thing cannot work. You know, th th these are Americans, they are charging, um, they're charging the guest, which is like something 
totally unacceptable. The market will refuse that. And even in the face of the obvious growth and success, I was still thinking they're not going to make it, or at least we're going to make it alongside with them. When it was obvious to anybody that I was done and they were the future. So I understand this kind of reaction. It's, it's normal, okay, natural. Uh, what I want to say is like, don't do this. Don't do this mistake. It is really painful. If you refuse Web3 based on a knee-jerk reaction, uh, based on not understanding it, you may be setting yourself for the next 10 years of deep pain. Seriously. Your company going down, your talent leaving, don't understand what's happened, anger. I mean, don't do that at, for at least. At least try to keep your mind open and understand what's happening. And at the end, if you think this is not going to work, fine. Maybe you're going to see opportunities in changing your Web2 model, adapting the Web2 model in ways that let you, you know, your company be there for the next 20 years. Or if you work in the industry, you know, again, I said this many times, there's, there's going to be incredible opportunities for those of us who today learn Web3. And there's going to be pain for those who don't. But maybe you don't like Web3 and you will be, because you know it, you're going to know how to work in a company which goes against it, whatever. I mean, learning is always good. So are Web2 critics right? They are right in many, you know, many things they say are right. Like, you know, Jack Dorsey is saying that Web3 is being captured and co-opted. By VCs, it's partially right. Yeah. So whenever you get criticism, you, you try to get the good out of it because if it's true, you better know that it's true. Are they right in the fact that Web3 is just hype and not is gonna happen? No, they are, I mean, my opinion is obviously clear they're dead wrong, but why why do you listen to me? You know, I'm just a guy on a podcast. What do other people say? You know, people who come from Web3, what do they say? I think maybe for the you know travel industry, internet-based travel industry crowd, the best thing I can tell you about, the best examples I can bring you to convince you that you should at least look into this is Y Combinator. You, you probably know Y Combinator. It's the biggest and best incubator in the world. They launched an impressive number of companies. Launched, I mean, they, they invited them in their incubator when they were just an idea. They gave them a few thousand dollars. I mean, it used to be $30,000. Now I think it's half a million dollars minimum. But basically, they, they launched these huge companies in all over the internet. Let me give a few names. Airbnb, DoorDash, the restaurant delivery, Coinbase. This is Coinbase. It's crypto exchange. GitLab, Dropbox. Stripe, Instacart, Reddit, Zapier, OpenSea, the NFT marketplace, Twitch, Mixpanel, Substack, Guesty, the management platform for the short rental industry, and many, many others. So these are basically the people who built the web too. It's them. That's where everything is started in a way, right? They miss maybe Facebook and Google and a few others, but Basically, all the rest has been done by them. Or maybe I'm exaggerating, but I mean, these are the people who built Web2. So they should be the ones against Web3. But being an incubator, being a VC in a way, a venture capitalist into the space, forces them to be open. These are the most open-minded people in the world. They've seen trends before the others. 
They gave money to the Airbnb guys when everybody else was laughing at them. It is their job to understand trends and to invest in trends before they're hot. It is their job not to get stuck in a specific worldview and try to defend their technology, which is making them rich. The job is basically to predict the future. And they're good at it. They've proven it with all this company. So what do they think about Web3? And I will give you two perspectives from people in, in Y Combinator. One is Sam Altman. He was the president of, um, of Y Combinator. And he was answering to Elon Musk when, when Musk was criticizing Web3. And he was basically saying, look, the, the kind of returns we've seen from the 2010 to now in, in, in the internet, they're not going to be that good anymore. Um, but Web3 is going to give these kinds of returns. So he's basically saying the future is Web3. But the most interesting is that the, the person I really admire in Y Combinator is the founder, Paul Graham, because he has these incredibly well-written essays on, on various subjects. So he's first and foremost a thinker, um, a very good thinker. And now he's out of, of Y Combinator. He founded it. He comes from Web1. Okay, so this guy has seen the birth of the internet, his first iteration in Web1. He sold a company to Yahoo. He made his money. He started Y Combinator. He made all these other companies. Then he left, but he's still, you know, the, the guy is still looking at things. And there's a, there's a very interesting uh, tweet from, from yesterday about NFTs. I'm going to read it to you. He says, quote, NFTs can be used for so many different things that you are inviting history to make a fool of you if you dismiss them. Even if I were sure that most current uses of NFTs were bogus, I'd never dare to say that all possible uses were. Now, here's a line of thought which can take you far because most people look at NFTs as an example of a Web3 use and say, NFTs are bullshit because you, you have these you know, stupid drawings and monkeys and things and people pay a lot of money for them. This is not going to work. And they conflate an early use case with the technology. This is like judging the internet at the beginning. You know, there were a lot of things which didn't make any sense at the beginning. And at the time, too, people were saying, well, the internet cannot work because whatever, these websites have no, no reason to exist. While the analytic thinker tries to see what the technology represents and try to understand what use cases can come in the future without actually expecting to guess them, but at least being humble enough to say, well, I don't know what NFTs will be used for, but they can be used for so many things. Something good probably will come out of it. I'm not going to be the guy who says NFTs are, are bullshit. I'm not going to do that because I know a few years later, people will laugh about it, right? So anyone who wants to criticize NFTs should criticize the use case, not the NFT technology. They, at least they should understand it before criticizing it. So be really careful with uh, jumping to conclusions on, on a primitive. Primitives are really powerful in general, and they tend to be used for you know, use cases which are just experimental at the beginning until we find something really powerful. So why don't we see a few use cases which popped out recently in the travel industry uh, or use cases of, of uh, WebTree, which, uh, which I find interesting. They're just the first ones, but they already show Something, you know, use cases which probably will make sense to you. They, they are not hard to understand, in my opinion. Well, let's see them. The first one I want to talk about is 
extremely interesting in my opinion. This is um, a company called uh, TripShock from United States. It's a booking platform for experiences, all right? And they connected a Web3 login system. What does it mean? It means you click, uh, instead of doing login and password, you click on a button and you connect your crypto wallet, your MetaMask. And once you connect it, they can see what you have in your wallet. And if you have a specific NFT, in this case, they chose to work with the Fish Mafia NFT, is one of those uh, 10,000K uh, PFP projects. If you own one of these NFTs, you get a 10% discount on your bookings. So you buy this NFT, 10% discount on your bookings. If the NFT is cheaper than, than the booking, than the 10% of the booking, you, you made money. Or maybe you're going to book with them many times, and so it's, it's worth it. You have to you know, look at the price of the, of the NFT and see if it does make sense. For the company, probably what makes sense here is that they are attracting the, the, the crypto crowd because you know, they're going to be much more visible to the crypto crowd than, than a classic Web2 company. And maybe they own a few of these NFTs. Maybe they made them, I don't know. And so they're giving value to these NFTs by giving a discount on a real product. And maybe the price of these NFTs will go up, which makes them money on the NFT ownership, right? This is not hard to understand. This is like, buy this card and get a discount. And I'm the one who issues these cards. So these cards have a secondary market, so I can sell some of them. Or maybe I just joined, you know, did a joint venture with the card owners. It makes sense. It's easy. Like own this NFT and get a discount. Maybe they're going to issue their own NFT for that. Or maybe they're going to leverage other existing NFTs and say anybody who owns any of these projects, like this could be a million people with NFTs they can, they can target, they're going to get a 10%. And that could cause, you know, um, press, uh, marketing buzz, people talking about them, and ultimately new customers. So it is not hard to understand, is it? And in this case, you're not going to complain the NFTs is, is a stupid picture or the picture is not decentralized and all these kind of things. Because here what matters is that the NFT is a token somebody has in a wallet and by holding this token in the wallet, they have access to something valuable. In this case, the discount. Not too hard to understand. It seems pretty linear, so I'm sure it's, it's easy to understand for, for everyone. So I actually went to see now this, uh, this NFT based fish mafia, so based fish mafia on OpenSea. And it's a nice project with uh, 10,000 fishes and 2,500 owners. So there are 2,500 people who could benefit from this 10% discount. And the price, the cheapest price of one of these is about $170 at the moment. And a couple of million, two million and a half dollars have been traded on the platform. So it's a legit project with, with good numbers and a good user base. So is this going to be the only and last project in the travel industry which leverages NFT ownership to give access and attract customers? Of course not. It's going to be many of them, right? So check them out. They, they're being courageous. They actually develop something. And we should all look at what they're doing and, and learn from them. A very surprising development happened to me with hospitality.fm. It's a, it's a podcast. I was invited to, to talk to one of, of their podcasts called 
Good Morning Hospitality. And I was explaining to them a little bit NFTs and it looks like I gave them a good idea and they implemented it very, very fast. Because a few days later, our podcast, they issued an NFT on OpenSea. This NFT costs about $50 now. I think the price is going up in, in time. Anyway, it costs $50. And they say something very simple. Um, if you purchase this NFT, we will feature you as a sub-sponsor of an episode and even invite members to join us live. So basically, you buy this NFT and they're going to talk about you in, in their podcast. And I found this very interesting. I bought an NFT. I think I paid $30 or something. And um, the, the next time, they simply talked about Trips Community. What is so revolutionary about this? You say, you know, you can just send them some money through PayPal and they're going to talk about you. Well, it's the frictionless element of it. I didn't have to talk to them, send an email, discuss the terms, send the email, send the money, and they said, did you get it? You know, I just had to go on OpenSea, click on Buy Now, pay with my wallet, and that was it. So why is this important? Well, because NFTs are internet primitive asset management tools. So being primitive, they are much easier to manage. While if I had to pay them through PayPal or a bank account, I should have used non-internet native stuff, much more cumbersome. So I was surprised, me, right? I've been in this thing forever and I still was surprised of the potential of something like that because I found it so easy. And we know that when things are easy, they are successful. One of the big criticisms of crypto and Web3 is like, ah, oh, this stuff is too hard. People won't do it. But once you're into this, things become much easier than the legacy systems. That's the big secret few people understand. Once people have a wallet, once they do this learning process, which is not even a lot, right? I mean, you, you can get a wallet and a crypto. Yeah, okay. It's, it's less than getting a, a router at the beginning of the internet, right? You have to learn a few things. But once you're in, everything becomes fluid and liquid and easy. That's what people mostly don't understand. And again, people didn't understand this about the internet. They would go like, why should I you know, look at a hotel to book online on this clunky computer with these ugly pictures? I'm going to go in a travel agency. And they were missing the fact that, well, you know, the fact that the internet is just more powerful for these kind of things. And Web3 is just more powerful for any kind of value transmission than anything else we've seen so far. So congratulations to the Hospitality FM guys. It's been a great move. Uh, I bought a couple of these advertisements. I'm probably going to buy more. I just want, don't want to be the only one they mentioned, but they sold many. They sold, I think, 34 or something. So uh, it seems successful, and this is really, really great. They also issued another kind of NFT uh, related to like an historical uh, podcast with which had a lot of views and they're selling it as a, again, you, you buy an historical one. It's uh, about $1,500. It hasn't been sold yet. Uh, this is more like uh, collectible. So collectibles are, are a different thing. Then they launched other flavors of the same concept, buy the NFT and become a sub-sponsor or a guest of the show or something. Um, and yeah, they, they sold those too. So incredibly interesting. So check them out and congrats to them.
I also see uh, hotels getting into this. I've been contacted by hotels who want to issue NFTs for their guests. So if you are a guest at a hotel, you're going to get this NFT. Or uh, if you buy this NFT, you're going to get a discount or something or something specific. So things are moving behind the scenes, and I'm sure we're going to see more and more projects come out uh, in the next months and years. So we're going to see three kinds of approaches to this transition, in my opinion. One approach is a slow transition. So a traditional company saying, okay, what can we do with these Web3 things? Well, let's see what works already. And when somebody else does something which works, they're going to try something too. It's the slow approach. It's the conservative approach. Somebody else will go all in. They understand this is... Um, really important technology, things are going to change drastically. So they're going to completely abandon their Web2 model and go 100% Web3, or at least perform a fast transition. And then we're going to have the native ones. Natives meaning new companies, new projects doing something completely starting from the point of view of Web3. Like, you know, Airbnb was Web2 native. It started when Web2 was already mature and they incorporated all the web two aspects from the beginning uh, booking.com was web one native and it transitioned okay pretty well to web two and again who knows how far will be they, they be able to transition to web three um, but still you know native usually wins which doesn't mean that non-native doesn't win again you know you have these um, very well capitalized companies with a lot of experience who can transition to Web3 in a successful way. And we're going to see them for sure. Again, we will see also Web2 companies will not make it. Maybe they're going to move too fast. Maybe they're going to move too slow. Maybe the execution won't work. Maybe they will not be able to attract the kind of talent you need for this transition. And then we will see for sure native Web3 companies slash projects because Web3 is not going to be all about companies. It's going to be about DAOs too. And if a native one gets it right at the beginning, they can really go fast and, and become very big very soon. So we will see all of them. And as I say, maybe a bit too often, it is going to be incredibly interesting and fun. So what should you do with your own company if you have a company in traveling Web2? Uh, well, it, nobody can tell you that, right? It, it, you really have to understand how these things work. You have to get your hands dirty, get into Web3 and try to understand how to jump in, when to jump in, whether to jump in. Nobody can really tell you that unless you, know, you have a very deep discussion with them, with somebody expert about this, and they can help you go in the right direction. Which brings me to the talent discussion. Um, we talked about this before, but um, the the whole Web two Web three drama, in a way, uh, highlights a problem also in in talent. There is this drain of talent from Web two to Web three. Many people are leaving Web two companies, especially it is especially visible in big platforms like Google, for instance. Uh, because, you know, just people find this more interesting and often they think this is the future. So for a single person, like a person who works in a company, it is much easier to switch from Web 2 to Web 3. They just leave a job and they get another job or start doing something else in, in Web 3. While the company, you know, it's, imagine Google trying to get to Web 3. It's, it's, it's very hard and it takes a long time, right? So people are leaving. 
this is not probably visible in the travel industry uh, yet, but it is going to happen. You're going to have people saying, you know, coming to you if you if you work in a Web3 company and say, uh, I'm leaving the job. I'm going to do something with crypto, right? I'm going full-time in Web3. You're going to hear that. Either your people working for you or, or your colleagues, they are going to leave for sure. Some people are going to leave. And this presents a challenge because it shows that not moving ahead, not transitioning to Web3 could actually make you weaker. Um, if you are an employer, it makes you weaker because some people are leaving. And if you are uh, an employee, it makes you weaker because they're going to learn new things. Where probably you go, you're, you're there, you're not going to do many new things, at least not at the rate which things happen in Web3. So one thing I've done in my life in general with, with work was like never work in a place unless I'm learning something. Because the money is never worth it. Just the money is never worth it. It's the knowledge. The money you know, allows you to live and maybe to save. But the knowledge is what actually represents wealth in your own life, right? Especially the younger you are, the more important the knowledge is. And people understand this. And that's why they're living for Web3. So you could find yourself in a, in a weak position and saying, what am I going to do? I'm not able to attract people anymore, or at least... Many people are not even interested in talking to, to us anymore. And you could turn this around by going very quickly into Web3 and actually attracting talent who want to work in Web3 related stuff. And if you are a Web3 first company, they may come and work for you. But it's not easy. Um, there's going to be a moment in which the talent available is much less than the demand is actually like this already in many verticals. Um, I don't know in Web3, maybe not yet, but uh, it's not going to be easy to get people work for you on Web3 things or, or just come and you know, help you with that because the demand is going to be massive. Another option is to encourage your employees to learn. So to upgrade their skills and stay with you and then start Together, all of you learn and then, you know, transition to, to Web3. But it is going to be challenging and it is going to be very challenging if you don't transition, a bit less if you do transition. But it is going to be probably challenging for everybody here, at least until Web3 becomes mainstream and everybody's going to learn. And then it's going to be, again, you know, a balance between offer and, and demand in the work uh, market. One thing I would do immediately if you, you know, if you reach the conclusion that you have to get into this thing is hire somebody now or get a consultant now and start integrating something now, something simple, whatever. Just do something in Web3 today. And this is the beginning for you of, of a long journey, of course. But do it now before everybody else does it because you're still on time today. Uh, there's no FOMO yet. There's no like everybody running into this. It's still early days. Do it now and, you know, learn. You know, the worst thing scenario, you have learned something which is going to be useful later, later down the line, even if you build a product with them people don't use. Like maybe integrating a Web3 login system is not controversial. People can still log in with the login and password. They can still log in with their Google and Facebook. But now they can also look in with Web3 and maybe give them something extra if they do that. Like, you know, again, a nice NFT, which gives you access to something. I don't know. 
try something simple now, get into this now. This is my advice and uh, I'm pretty sure it is good advice. So I'm going to uh, end this episode with, uh, with a chapter which I'm going to call Boomers are NGMI, which means boomers are not going to make it. It's a bit, you know, arrogant and aggressive way to put it, but it, the, the bottom line is that there are a certain amount of people here who are not going to do this transition. They're going to be left behind in a way because they're not adapting and adapt you must. There's no really choice here. And so let's, let's see the title. Boomers are not going to make it. NGMI. Boomers is, of course, ageism. It's like about people from a certain age, but it's just a way to... Um, it's not about age, actually. Boomers is an attitude. It's like, I've learned this technology and I'm tired. I don't want to learn new technologies, which is perfectly fine. You may be... Uh, the part in your life where you get tired, you know, like, you know, you've been learning all your life, you've been fighting all your life. One more big thing coming, I'm done. This is getting out of hand. Technology is changing too fast. I'm done. So I close my eyes in front of this new technology. I don't want to hear about it. I probably hate it. I'm not going to do it. Or I'm going to do it when it's just too late. I'm going to get my smartphone when everybody has one. And without the smartphone, I'm, I'm cut up. So first of all, everybody has the right to be a boomer in that way. I will be a boomer sooner or later. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to want to focus on other things other than technology and business and whatever, right? So first of all, everybody has the right to be a boomer. So respect for for those people. But they're not going to be able to transition to this new kind of internet. That's, That's just a fact. And it is really connected with age. I've seen how mostly young people react to that. So we are going to see a new generation of travel executives come out from nothing. And we're going to be surprised, as we've always been surprised when these 20-somethings changed the world and changed business. You know, Airbnb was built by very young people. Facebook was built by very young people, etc., etc. So this is going to just happen again. It is um, some older people will, will adapt. Maybe they will actually become the kings of this new internet. This has happened in crypto too. There are older people who understood the technology very early and were able to leverage this. We've seen this in Web 2. We've seen this in Web 1. So most people will be young, but it is not an age thing. You can be on top of this at any age. It's an approach thing. I talk about this often. It's about how you approach new things and how you deal with them. It's how open-minded and curious you are. But in general, what we're going to see is young people getting on top of this and older people not getting on top of this. This is obvious. So if you imagine a conference in travel in five years from now, you will see a new generation getting on stage and, and saying that the things they've done and you're going to go like, wow, how did they miss that? Well, you probably missed it because you didn't have the time and the energy and the curiosity to get on top of this. Or since you're listening to this podcast, you probably already filtered out. You already are showing more curiosity than than the average travel executive. In that case, you may be on that stage talking about your next protocol, which is, you know, churning billions of dollars in the travel industry. So boomers are not going to make it means... Simply this, if you're not going to be open-minded, you're not going to spend time 
in learning these things, you are taking a big risk, right? And when I say learning, let me reiterate this again for the millionth time. It is not enough to, to listen to a podcast or to read stuff online. You need to get your hands dirty, get a MetaMask wallet and start doing things. This is the watershed moment in which you start understanding what we're talking about here, right? So boomers are not going to make it is my painful realization, which I had at the beginning of 2021, basically. It's like you can't force people to get onto this. They have to come by themselves. So you can facilitate it. But I've been, you know, trying to convince boomers in a way, so um, attitude boomers in this industry for many years. And I said, this is not going to happen. There's new people coming into this. So my whole message is, is shifted from the existing travel industry to the new people in the travel industry. Maybe people are sitting now in an office working as an employee, but their open mind is going to allow them to jump up and completely change their position from being subordinates to being the ones who call the shots. It's all about in the attitude. It's not about networking. It's not about knowing the right people. It's not about having money. Your curiosity here is your secret weapon. So if you are a young person or a young in mind person sitting in some office in a travel industry and you know having this all respect for your CEO or your boss, this is an historical opportunity. You can be 10 times bigger than them five years from now because they are not adapting, right? This is your chance. While on next year conference, they're going to be on some panel saying clever things and they're going to be in a nice hotel and they earn a lot of money. Five years from now, you can be on that panel. You can be on stage. You can earn a lot of money. You can be their boss in a way. You, or you can be on a company which is running what their company, the company you're working in now, it's slowly going into the, the shadows. I know this is pretty extreme and again it may sound like arrogant in a way but this is just how technology works we know that technologies are exponential and if web3 is indeed the next iteration of the internet how do you see a web2 company which does not adapt being there in five ten years from now there's no way they are going to be the blockbusters of web3 they're just gonna be completely crushed and thrown into oblivion by netflix so the sad message, boomers are not going to make it, has a brighter side, which is young people are going to make it. Again, young in mind are going to make it. There's an incredible opportunity. It's time for a generational change. And everybody here has the same opportunities. This is a very field-leveling event. So in my opinion, this is a good thing because I think when somebody doesn't have a chance to raise because the, 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 the infrastructure is kind of frozen when we have these kind of transitions and it opens the doors to anybody who has an open mind, I think is a net positive in general. So let's sum it up. Web2 is transitioning to Web3. It is a good bet to jump on Web3 as early as possible, at least understanding it if you want to you know, keep your company or keep your career on track. This is something you cannot really ignore anymore. 
So definitely keep listening to my podcast. I really hope it is useful. And start doing things. The effort is really worth it. There's a lot, a lot of value in this. All right, this is the end of today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. For more insights on Web3, follow me on Twitter at TripLuca, T-R-I-P-L-U-C-A. And see you next time.